Well, welcome to FBC. My name is Joe Andrews. Probably you were expecting to see the pastor, but the pastor is gone, and we're so glad that he's on vacation. No, no, no. I don't mean it like that. I mean, I'm just glad he's finally getting a vacation. Come on, guys. Uh, listen, if you're a guest here, you just, it's, you kind of drew the short straw. You have to deal with my preaching today. Um, hopefully, though, the Lord will still use me, and hopefully you will be excited and ready to hear the word and apply it to your life. Just a little about me. My name is Joe Andrews. I am the campus pastor here. Uh, nobody exactly knows what that title means. Uh, it kind of means everything and anything and nothing sometimes. Uh, the pastor likes to remind me of that. Uh, one thing that I love to do is I love to hike. Um, I love long strolls on the beach. I don't know if you're like me. I love mountains. Uh, I love animals and I love music. And as I'm thinking about music and, and kind of everything that we're talking about this whole month, which we'll get to in a second, I, I kept thinking of a Beatles song. I love the Beatles. I don't know how many of you grew up with the Beatles. I didn't. I, was, uh, I did grow up with the Beatles music, but they were already kind of long gone. I was listening to reruns, all right? Uh, I, love, I love the Beatles. And the Beatles produced one song that's really different from any other song by any other artists. In fact, it's probably the weirdest song that's ever been created, which leads me to believe that they were doing a lot of drugs, okay? Uh, I think we already knew that about the Beatles, so that if you're a Beatles fan and that came as a surprise to you, I'm so sorry that I just did that to you. Uh, the song came about because John Lennon had heard that at his high school, his high school from a long time ago, the teachers were giving the students this assignment to analyze Beatles' lyrics and to interpret them. And John Lennon was like, I do not like that at all. Uh, they're, for one, they're probably going to be wrong. And the other thing is, uh, why don't we just throw them a curveball? And so he sat down and he penned the song, I Am the Walrus. Have you guys heard this song, I Am the Walrus? Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever. And I know you guys have other bands that you love, that you have songs that you're like, I don't know what it means, I just sing it. And that's what I Am the Walrus is. Let me show you some lyrics from this. Here we go. You guys, just get your seatbelts on. Semolina Pilchard climbing up the Eiffel Tower. Elementary Penguin singing Hare Krishna. Man, you should have seen them kicking Edgar Allan Poe. I Am the Eggman. They are the Eggmen. I am the walrus. Goo goo gajoob. <laughs> I always thought it was cuckoo kachoo. I don't know if you're like me, but if there's one little line in that verse that really just sinks into my heart, it's that one. Goo goo gajoob. Just let that sink in. Just enjoy whatever that could mean. So many bands do this. They'll go and they'll just write some song and just, you'll have no idea what it's about, but you love it and you sing it. We're actually in a series called Songs in the Key of Life uh, right now for this whole month. We have one more week uh, next week, and I believe Brian is preaching. Uh, that's our worship leader. He's preaching in the modern worship services, and Barry will be in the traditional service. So if you're thinking about Songs in the Key of Life, uh, it's something that we actually stole. I mentioned that the last time I, I spoke. Uh, we stole that from Stevie Wonder, all right? It was an album that he came up with in 76, a little before I was born. I always want to make sure I throw that in there so you know how young or old you think I am. Uh, 
And what we're doing is just walking through the Psalms. And what we want you to see in the Psalms is that no matter what stage of life you're in, whether you're happy or sad or you're, you're mad or you're, or you're just glad, whatever stage of life that you're in, you can still find a way to glorify God through it. And that's what the psalmist did. In fact, they, they wrote the psalms in all kinds of different states of mind, all right? And uh, one thing that you'll notice in the songs of the key of life is it's not hard to tell what they're about. Now, Stevie Wonder, opposite of the Beatles in this example, came up with another song, all right? But this song was so easy to tell exactly what it meant, all right? Stevie Wonder, in 1984, released a song, and that song was, I Just Called to Say I Love You. If you don't remember that song, go ahead and look up at the screens. I just called to say I love you. Now, I don't know uh, if you've ever thought of the meaning behind that song, but you probably didn't because you knew what it meant. Nobody, right after he released that, nobody sat him down for an interview and said, Stevie, listen, we're all, we love the new track that you just produced. It's it's awesome, but could you just tell us what it means? (laughs) It's like all he could do was answer with the lyrics. Well, it's about this guy who calls this girl to just say he loves her. And he means it from the bottom of his heart. All right, that's it. There's no guesswork in this song. It's not like I am the walrus by the Beatles. Psalm 119 is exactly like that. Listen, you don't have to wonder what Psalm 119 is about. In fact, Psalm 119 tells you what it's about 169 times. All right, 169 times David, the author, mentions one thing, the law of God. And he mentions it with a lot of different synonyms. And with all the synonyms and everything, 169 times he tells you, this is all about the law of God. His statutes, his commandments, his law, his rules, his testimonies, his precepts. And he uses these words 169 times. So for you and I, there's no guesswork. It's no, I am the walrus, okay? It's so easy to see what this psalm is all about. Now, if we're looking at the psalms as songs, because that's how they were written, we're also kind of looking at them them as like a huge album, all right? A 150-song album. And if it's a 150-song album... What we're looking at today is track 119, all right? We are skipping through 118 tracks, and we're going to 119, because that's the one that we want to be in today. Now, Psalm 119, I want you to know a few things about it. For one, it's the longest book in the book, I'm sorry, it's the longest chapter in the book of Psalms, all right? It actually doubles the other longest psalm. Not only that, but it's actually the longest chapter in your entire Bible, 
okay? And so when you come to this psalm, you're like, okay, this is going to take some time to get through, and it's really sad that we have to listen to Joseph Andrews up there going through this entire psalm. It's going to be okay. I'm here to get you through it. Uh, If you're just looking at sheer length, this one chapter is as long as the entire book of Philippians, okay? It is a long chapter, 176 verses. It was written by David, and David, kind of the state of mind that he was in, you can kind of see some clues out uh, down through the pages here. Princes were sit, sitting and plotting against him. Uh, this is verse 42. He was being taunted. Verse 46, he was going to speak his testimonies before the Lord's testimonies before kings. Verse 50, he's in affliction. In verse 51, the insolent are deriding him, okay? So he is in a not the best state of mind when he's writing this. He's having a lot of problems in his life. But the coolest thing about Psalm 119 is how it's arranged, how David decided to sit down and arrange the entire psalm. And the way that he did it was he took the Hebrew alphabet, all right? And he started at the beginning, and he took the first letter from the Hebrew alphabet, and he wrote eight verses that started with that first Hebrew letter. The letter's called Aleph, all right? And he wrote eight verses, all starting with that letter. And then he moved to letter B, and he wrote another eight verses, all right? That, that word, that letter is called bait, all right? So you have A, eight verses, B, eight verses, G, actually, A-B-G in Hebrew. I don't know why, but that's how it is, all right? So he did eight verses in G, and then it goes to D, actually, which is kind of weird. It's Dalit, and he writes another eight. And through all of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, David sets up what he wants to be remembered in the hearts of everybody who reads it. But not, don't forget, he wasn't writing a book. He was writing a song, so he was writing this to be sung. I'd like to read the passage with you now, and I'm going to, uh, you'll see that I have highlighted some words with the help of the people in the tech booth, thank you, Uh, so that you can see how many times just in this one passage, the law of God or one of those synonyms is mentioned. Those will be in yellow, all right? David says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Ten times in those eight verses, David mentions the law of God. So I think as we read through this, there's one thing that really sticks out to us, and it's this. God's word will shape your life when you let it sink deep into your heart. So if you take God's word and you let it sink deeply into your heart, your whole life will be shaped by God's word and God using his word in your life and your life will become more like 
God. You will become more godly the more that you have the word of God in your life. And that's exactly why David wrote this. He wanted the word of God in people's hearts. So he, when he was writing, he made sure to make it easy for people to remember. And he made sure that he put it to song, which makes it even easier. And that's why he wrote it, because he thought if this word gets in to the heart of these people, their lives will be shaped by their God. If there's one thing we want to understand before we get into this entire book, which actually takes 15 minutes to read through. So just sit back. I'm going to start now. We're going to read through the whole psalm, and then I'm done. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not doing that. It really does. It takes 15 minutes just to read through the entire 70, uh, 176 uh, verses. And the 169 times that it mentions the law of the Lord... We need to really understand what law of the Lord means, all right? So the word is Torah, okay? And the word Torah, we usually just translate as, as law. So if it says the Torah of the Lord, what we say is the law of the Lord. When David was writing, the law of the Lord to him meant five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was it. He had no other scripture. It's possible he had maybe one or two more books, but we can't be sure. But we know he had Moses's five books. So when David is talking about the law, what you think is the entire Bible. And that's great. That's fine. That's the word of God. And you're right. But when David was talking, when what inspired him to write the 119th Psalm was five books, just five and it was enough to fuel him for 176 verses in Psalm 119. That doesn't, that doesn't even mention the other 74 psalms that he wrote. And all that he had to inspire him was those five books. So when you're talking about Torah, you're talking about law, but the actual translation is teaching, okay? It is the teaching of God that David is honing in on. And if we want to just take it one, more, one step further, David wants to draw attention to all of God's revelation. But to him, remember, the only revelation he had from God was those five books. It's the first five books in your Bible. We call it the Pentateuch. We can also call it the Torah. But that's all that David had, and that's all that inspired him to make this entire uh, psalm. And what David says about the law of God or the teachings of God actually applies to all of the revelation that God has given us today, all right? So what he said about the revelation, the little five books of revelation that he had actually applies to all of God's relation, revelation that he didn't even know was coming in the future, all right? So what I want to do is I want to take you through this psalm, not verse by verse, 176 verses, but just 9 through 16. And we're going to look at how this little section really codifies the entire idea of the entire psalm of 119. So here's what I want you to see first as we, as we look at this. The shape of your life could be pure. If you take the word of God and you let it sink deep into your hearts, the shape of your life could be pure. And David starts there, and this is, this is what David says. And this is verse nine. How can a young man keep his way pure? 
Now, when he's talking about a young man, just think of somebody who's, who's young enough not to have ruined their life with a lot of things, of doing the wrong things, making wrong decisions, and that's really who he's talking about. You can also just think about a young person. It doesn't have to be a man. This isn't just gender-specific to only men. This is the, the way that they keep their life pure, but women don't have to do it this way, all right? It's not like that. Everybody, all people, all young people, they're starting out in this kind of state of purity. And if they want to keep their way pure, David has something to say about that. How can they do that, he asks? By guarding their way or by guarding their life according to your word. So what David wants for the young man to do or the young person to do is this. Take the word of God and make it a part of your heart. Let it sink deep into your heart. And when you do that, it's like putting guardrails on your life so that you can't go farther into sin, but the word actually acts like a highway. And it doesn't let you go to the left and it doesn't let you go to the right. It's guardrails on your life to keep you moving in the right direction. And that's exactly what David wants to communicate right here. I know I don't want to offend anybody here, but you're probably, uh, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, you're probably thinking, well, I'm not a young man anymore. I'm not a young woman anymore. I've made so many mistakes. Some of you would never put yourself in the young person category. You put yourself like the old category or the mean or grumpy category or whatever category you put yourself in. And if you're thinking, I'm just past that in my life, what do I do? I'm not a young man who can keep his way pure. I've messed up my way. Well, you can start again, fresh today. That's what you can do. And so David's encouragement is, if you let the, the word of God sink deep into your heart, your, the shape of your life could be pure. Let's go to the next encouragement that we have. And this comes from the next verse, verse 10. If you let the word of God sink deeply into your heart, the shape of your life could be closeness with God. I love this verse. This is what David says. With my whole heart, I seek you. I hope that that's your, your prayer and, and that that's your heart also. That you could just match up with David and said, with my whole heart, I, I want to seek you and I want to serve you. So even though he's following God with 100% of his heart, listen to what his prayer is to the Lord. Let me not wander from your commandments. Let me not wander from your commandments, though I'm going at it 100% and I'm seeking you with all that I am and all of my heart. But don't let me wander from your commandments. He knows who he is. He knows that he's a human, that even though he's seeking God with everything, he could get off track. His propensity is to distance himself from the word. Let me not wander from your commandments, he says. There was a, a time when I had my son and my daughter, uh, London, London and Parker, Parker was about eight years old. 
Uh, London was about five. And I took them on a walk in Virginia, somewhere I've never really been. There was a lake and there was a stream that came down from the lake. And I was like, let's go for a hike. We'll just kind of explore. So we go down there. And uh, I have been training Parker up to this point uh, for eight years and trying to help him understand that what I say he needs to obey because someday it could mean life or death. And so I'm trying to teach them, listen, just, I know I just ask you to do a little thing and you don't think it means anything, but as, as soon as you obey me in that, you'll obey me in the big things when it matters most. And so as we're hiking, I see uh, this on the ground and this is a picture of a huge snake. I don't know what kind of snake it is. You snake enthusiasts can tell me uh, later. Parker is walking right for this snake in Virginia. That's the actual one, I I guess, after the whole incident. I was like, I guess I'll get a picture of it. It's kind of (laughs) nice. So Parker is walking straight to it, and I say, as calmly as I can, Parker, I want you to stop and don't take another step. And what do you think eight-year-old Parker does? What do you think eight-year-old Parker does? Yeah, he does what probably all of us would have done when we were eight years old. He keeps walking while he asks me why. (laughs) Why? And at this point, he's one step away from the snake, and he has no clue that it's there. And so I flip out. I I didn't want to flip out, but I was like, I tried to tell you nicely. You're supposed to obey everything I say, no questions. And you just say, why? So now I got to flip out. So I'm like, oh my gosh, Barker, there's a snake. Don't take another step. You have to go back. So finally he listens uh, because he heard the word snake. Uh, And he stops and he distances himself from the snake and everything is good. So I think the whole incident is over, except London finally sees the snake. And she's five at this point. She's tiny. And she climbs up me like I'm a tree and I have branches. She gets on the top of my head as if I had like a man bun up here. And she is flipping out. It takes me 20 minutes to calm her down. It was insane. But I finally was able to calm her down. Here's, Here's what I want you to see. The shape of our life could be closeness with God. What David says is, I'm following you 100%, but don't let me wander from your commands, because if I wander from your commands, then I'm wandering from you. And he didn't want that. And as soon as we wander from God's word, from his law, from his teachings, we're wandering from him, and it's only a matter of time before we step into danger and we find ourselves wounded horribly. The next thing that I want you to see is that if you have that word of God in your heart, deep in your heart, the shape of your life could be far from sin. And this is verse 11. This is really the key verse of this whole chapter. This is what David says. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He has stored up the word. Another translation says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I don't sin against you. So there's a reason that David has hidden or treasured the word of God in his heart. Because when he does that, it will keep him from sinning against God. It's a beautiful picture. All right, what this means to hide the word of God in your heart or to treasure the word of God in your heart means that you take the word of God and you make it a part of your life. Some people think this is saying you have to memorize scripture. Well, anybody could memorize words. It's the heart behind it, not the act. Does that make sense? 
If your passion is the word of God, then you have made the word of God part of your life. If you just memorize words, you've just memorized words. If you've memorized them with that passion, then that's going to stick in your heart. It's going to become part of your life. Here's the next thing that I want you to see, and this is verse 14. The shape of your life could value the word of God if you get the word of God and you make it part of your life and let it sink deep into your hearts. This is, this is what David says here. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. His son said something similar in Ecclesiastes 5.8. This is what King Solomon said about riches. Will you, uh, <clears throat> whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And then he sums it all up. This too is meaningless, absolutely meaningless. David was rich, Solomon was rich, but the, the idea that they finally get to after everything was, it's not worth it. The word of God is more. So here's the next thing that I want you to see. The shape of your life could be pleasure in God and his word if you let his word sink deep into your heart. Don't you hope that that would be, that you would just take pleasure? And uh, this is uh, actually verse uh, 16, 15, sorry. This is what it says. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. David delighted, took pleasure in the word of God because he had made it part of his life. And I hope that as you make the word of God a part of your life, that would be what you do as well, that you take delight in knowing the Lord and knowing his word. Tradition actually teaches that David taught this psalm to his kids. All right, I don't know if that's true, but that's traditionally, that's what is believed. And if he did that, he actually fulfilled Verse 13, this is what it says. With my lips, I declare the rules of your mouth. Now, David couldn't help but talk about the word of God because it was in his heart. And you can bet that he was teaching his children the word of God. Here's the next thing that I want you to see. The psalmist loved God and his revelation so much that it affected the way that he lived. Now, remember... When I say that he loved God's revelation so much that it affected the way he lived, remember, his revelation was five little books. I often wonder, like, if we could just take a time machine back in time, and we could go to David, and we could say, hey, David, uh, I know how much you love God's law and his word and Moses' writings, and you know that those are directly from God, written to you, and it's his revelation for your life. I know you love it because you've, you've writ, you wrote a whole psalm about it, and you mentioned it 169 times. It's a little overdoing it, but that's okay. And if we could go and we could talk to him and we could say, David, do you know what? David, God, God hasn't just revealed himself in five little books of Moses. There's 61 more books in which God has revealed himself to us. 
And at that moment, you would be like, where did David go? And where was the Bible that I was just holding? He just ran off with it. And you're not going to see him for a year. And the reason you're not going to see him for a year is because he cherished those five books with all of his heart. He made them a part of his life. And as soon as he knew that God had revealed more, he couldn't wait to get into the word. And what do we do with it sometimes? Five books inspired his 75 psalms that he wrote. And we have 66 glorious books of the revelation from God that will shape our life. And what we do is we just leave it there. It sits in a drawer. It sits on a bookshelf. It might sit on my desk. And I'm not cherishing the word of God like I should. This is all of his revelation, and it is wonderful. And the shape of my life could value the word of God. Here's the last thing that I want to say today. If we value the word like this, like David did, it can't help but shape the way that you and I live. If we value the word of God like David did, it will shape our lives. So I guess the question is, do we value the word of God? Would five books be enough for you? It was enough for David. Is 66 books of the Bible enough for you? It should be so much. You should think that this is God's words to me every time that I open it up. Sometimes I think if God were to appear on the five o'clock news, the entire world would be watching to hear what he had to say. And we have what he has to say, and we don't value it enough in our lives. We don't need five o'clock news. We have 66 books. And when we get into these books and get the books into us, God shapes our life through it. So will you let this message sink deep into your heart? This message that God will shape your life if you let his word sink deep into your hearts. Will you let that sink in? Will you let his word shape you? Do you value the word of God like you should? Are you living a pure life because the word is in your heart? Are you close with God or are you wandering from him? I'm not sure about every single one of you and what you're going through and how you handle this word, but I hope that you hear today that as soon as you get into the word and you get the word into you, your life will be shaped by God through his Holy Spirit. It's an amazing, amazing thing. I don't know what you need. Maybe you're looking for a church that values the word of God. That's this church. If, if that's not clear from this message, I don't know what else is clear. We love the word of God here and we will teach it and we hope that it becomes part of your life just like it's part of ours. If you want to join a church like that, you can come and talk with one of the pastors or maybe you feel like you've wandered from God. Maybe it's time to come back and say, I want to make God and his word a part of my life again. Maybe you've never accepted God in your whole life. You don't know much about his word or anything else. I think you should give your life to the Lord. Jesus Christ has died for all of your sins and you can give him your whole life and his word can start beginning to shape 
your life. Whatever you need to do, you can do it. In just a moment as we close, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much. We thank you that you're a God who loves us. God, I don't know how this psalm could be any clearer. Your law, your teachings, your revelation to us is so very important. And God, what we want more than anything is to get the word of God into us so that you would begin to shape our lives. God, I pray for all of the people in here that they would respond to you just like you would have them do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.